Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1 and through verse 10. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, The half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So as I mentioned in my prayer, it's a familiar story probably to anyone who spent any time as a child in Sunday school. Uh, The story of Zacchaeus is always amusing because it's the only, the, the, the dude on the flannel graph was always the size of a child, but he had a beard. And so, and then he sat up in the tree, and if you were one of the lucky ones, you got to put Zacchaeus in the tree. And so... Uh, we remember these stories, but sometimes the memory of them, sometimes the, and this isn't me disparaging flannel graph. I love flannel graph. We use it at Backyard Bible Camp every year. But there is a danger in turning our stories, these accounts of Jesus' life, into just childhood stories. Uh, part of the danger can come when we moralize the story. When we say, so see, be like Zacchaeus. Uh, Is that really all that is going on here? In one sense, uh, if you were to put on a one-act play about Zacchaeus' life, you could just break it into two scenes, on the road and in the house, because that's what happens here. We've got half of the story that happens on the road, and most of that seems to be from Zacchaeus' perspective of what's going on. And then in the house, even though Zacchaeus does most of the talking, we seem to see more of Jesus' perspective on what is happening here. We're on the road passing through Jericho, and we, we meet a man, and we are immediately told three things about him. First of all, his name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is just, it's a Hebrew name, Zakai, that means the righteous one. It's sort of a ironic name because we also learn something else about 
Zacchaeus, the righteous one. He is a chief tax collector, and he is very wealthy. So again, a tax collector, a tax collector at the time would would collect monies on behalf of Rome, usually doing it through like customs or if you're bringing something through the city or down the road, there'd be a toll or or a tax on the products that you're bringing in. Uh, if you were a chief tax collector, this is actually, the, I think, the only place in Scripture that a chief tax collector is mentioned. You have to go outside of Scripture to even find out through history of, of Rome and, and that area what a, a chief tax collector did, but he oversaw other tax collectors. So, so it seems that Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector for all of Jericho, and so uh, they bring things in, goods passing through, either entering in Jericho would be taxed, goods leaving Jericho would be taxed, goods just passing through using the roads of Jericho would be taxed. I think, you know, maybe the best way to capture the idea of why people didn't like tax collectors, although he's not a tax collector, but the song that Tenardier sings in Les Mis, uh, the master of the house in one of the verses he sings about how he comes up with the prices for his hotel. Charge them for the lice, extra for the mice, 2% for looking in the mirror twice. Here's a little slice, there's a little cut, 3% for sleeping with the window shut. When it comes to fixing prices, there's a lot of tricks I know. How it all increases, all them bits and pieces, amazing how it grows. This is the tax collector's mantra. If you had something of value, they wanted a piece of it. And they would take a bigger piece than would seem appropriate because half of what they took or a portion of what they took had to be passed along to Rome. So now when we see this about Zacchaeus, if we're reading or we're like the first you know, the first hearers of the book of Luke, or you're reading along in the book of Luke, then you realize there are some competing things here if this guy's about to meet Jesus. Because on the one hand, Jesus seems to have a soft spot for tax collectors. That has been well established in the book of Luke. But on the other hand, Jesus doesn't really like rich people. I mean, he... He says all kinds of things about how hard it is for rich people to do, to, to get into heaven. So Jesus has a soft spot for tax collectors and sinners and, and ne'er-do-wells. But he kind of he gives the rich people a hard time. It's interesting, isn't that the opposite of what the people of his time do? The people of his time have a hard time with tax collectors and sinners and those unclean people out there. But their view of rich people is that, well, God is obviously blessing them. And there's a little bit of envy, and why doesn't God bless me that way? And aren't you glad that we've got this all figured out today after 2,000 years? Like, we, we are way better at being kind to the to the outcast. Oh, wait, maybe that's not quite true. But you see this and it's kind of, you wonder, what way is this going to go? 
He's a tax collector, and Jesus is usually nice to them. He's rich, and Jesus is usually hard on them. What is he going to do here? We do learn a couple more things about Zacchaeus. We're told that he was seeking to see who this Jesus was. And we'll look at that a little bit more. But also, the thing that sticks in every child's mind, Zacchaeus was short. In the words of the Irish song, he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Uh, he was short. It was impossible. He wants to see, he wants to get a, an, a glimpse of this Jesus, but he can't see through the crowd. And what's not written here, I do just wonder, how safe is it for Zacchaeus to be alone in a crowd anyway, when accidents can happen? And he's probably not the most loved person in the town. So he moves on ahead of the crowd. He climbs a tree where he can look down on all those people who are constantly looking down on him, literally, but also figuratively. And he waits for Jesus to pass by. He waits for Jesus to pass by. That's all he's looking for. He just wants to see. He's curious about this person. He's curious to observe. Jesus will pass by. The crowd will pass by. The coast will be clear. He will climb down and be on his way, unimpressed, unimpacted, unchanged. But Jesus has other plans. Jesus has other intentions. Verse 1 made it seem like it was just a coincidence, just a happenstance. Jesus was just passing through Jericho. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's on the road that goes through Jericho. He has to go through Jericho. Now it seems that there's nothing unintentional about what Jesus does, even in his walking. It reminds me of the line from the poem that that Bilbo quoted about his friend Strider when he says, not all those who wander are lost. Just because Jesus looks like he's just on his way to Jerusalem does not mean that he's not being intentional about every step that he takes and every place that he stops. This wandering, just passing through, traveling Jesus, he stops he looks up into a tree. Is it, is it that he looks, and we don't know, did he look into the tree because here's this little man hanging, his feet dangling, and like everyone sees him? Did he look up into a tree because he heard a commotion? Did he look up into a tree just because he knew this is where Zacchaeus would be, and Zacchaeus, though hidden, Jesus is looking for him. He says to him in verse 5, Zacchaeus, Hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Every, every verb, every, every action, is there's an urgency. Hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. And I love, like, just like in the, uh, the healing of the blind man just outside of Jericho, where the scripture says, Jesus says, what do you want? He says, Lord, let me recover my sight. Jesus says, recover your sight. 
Luke says, and he recovered his sight. Like in this, Jesus says, hurry, come down. I must stay at your house today. Verse 6, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Now remember, a, a chief tax collector and a rabbi. An outcast of society and a religious teacher and instructor. I, uh, on occasion, will visit folks in their homes, just pastoral visits. Sometimes when it's, if you're a new person to Hope of Christ, sometimes just on a pattern of just coming over and, and visiting I cannot tell you how many times when I do call someone, one of you, and say, I'd like to come over and visit, how I know that puts fear into your hearts. Like, I remember visiting one young couple, and she was the daughter of a pastor. And when I called and asked if I could come and visit them, she called her dad and told him, the pastor is coming over tonight. And her dad, a pastor, said to her, what did you do? (laughs) And so that's a natural response that should make Zacchaeus' response that much more beautiful. Because Zacchaeus knows he's a lawbreaker. He knows he's a traitor. He knows he's despised and an outcast. He's not welcome in the synagogue. He's not, his testimony isn't welcome at court. And a rabbi says to him, hey, come down. I'm going to your house. And he comes down and he receives him joyfully. There's no, what does he want? from me. He rejoices. There is already a change in Zacchaeus because of who this rabbi is that is seeking him out. Because here is this man who doesn't just glance up and see me, but a man who sees me a man who knows me by name, humanizes me, and wants to stay with me. Like, we turned it into, I want to come over and have dinner with you, but, like, literally, the language has to do with, like, a guest room and be a guest in his house. He's coming to stay. Jesus gives this man dignity and worth just by interacting with him. What else would Zacchaeus do but rejoice? And it goes back to that, like that balance that I've talked about, like we all want to be known and loved. Like to be known and not loved is where Zacchaeus is with the crowd. Like, they know him. They know everything about him. That's a frightening place to be if you're known. If someone knows everything about you and you're not sure if they love you, it's frightening for people to know that much about you. To be loved and not known 
I was trying to think of what that was today. That's a dog. I mean, I have a dog now, so I can speak with pretty good conviction here. A dog loves you without knowing you. Yeah, technically, it's not my dog. It's Jacob's dog. But a dog, the dog's love seems so unconditional, doesn't it? When you come in, they're so happy to see you. Do you know why? Because they just don't know you. (laughs) Give the dog a full understanding of who you are and what kind of person you are, and that dog is not only not going to greet you, he will probably be gone before you get home. To be loved and not known is empty. It's not true. To be known and not loved is frightening. It's, I don't want people to know me that I don't know if they love me. Zacchaeus is known by Jesus, and he is apparently loved by him. Jesus treats him with dignity and honor and respect. And how different the crowd reaction is, isn't it? In verse 8. Not verse 8, excuse me, verse 6. Seven. I'll get it there. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. It's interesting, isn't it? This is almost the opposite. This is the anti-lost sheep parable. Like in the lost sheep, there's 99 found sheep. And one lost sheep. Now here we have one found sheep. And 99 lost and grumbling. The crowd that began the day despising Zacchaeus now despises Jesus. So the day starts. Jesus is honored by the crowd. Zacchaeus is despised by the crowd. The day ends. Jesus is despised by the crowd. Why? Because Zacchaeus is honored by Jesus. In one sense, it's a, it's a mini picture of what the gospel does, of what Jesus does in the gospel, isn't it? Jesus takes on all that would make us despicable, all that would make us despised. Jesus absorbs that. Jesus pours his value and his dignity and his righteousness into you and takes on all that is despicable of you and he is despised on your behalf for you and just like the complaint at the beginning of Luke 15 this grumbling of the crowd here their sentence is your and my only hope in the gospel isn't it Their complaint is your hope. This man has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. How gross. Yes, 
Yes. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. That is our only hope. It's unfathomable to the crowd of sinners. And then we transition quickly into the house. How, what is Zacchaeus' take on all of this? Scene two, in the house, Zacchaeus is a completely different man. He's changed. He's not curious about this Jesus. He's rejoicing that this Jesus would have a relationship with him, would seek him out, call him by name, invite himself over, even a slight etiquette breach. Because of his relationship with Jesus, every other relationship is changed. His relationship to his stuff has changed. His relationship toward other people in need has changed. Even his relationship toward those he sinned against has changed. I was reading in some commentaries, they try to say that like this is actually Zacchaeus just kind of laying out his resume for Jesus. Hey, I just want you to know this is the kind of man I am. I give away half of my wealth. I restore fourfold to people I steal from. So first of all, I want to talk about a little bit about mathematics and how that's a physical impossibility if he was being honest. Like, you can't continually give away half of your wealth. Do you understand? Like, like pretty soon half of your wealth is a nickel and then two and a half cents. And like, that's not a lifestyle. That's not sustainable. He's not saying, hey, this is how I've always lived. Also, that's a weird flex. Hey, all the people I steal from... I give it back eventually. Say, like, what? Oh, well, you are a good person. <laughs> like, no. He's saying, he's making an announcement. He's saying, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. If there are people that I have dishonored, that I've been dis- dishonest with, I will repay them fourfold. You know, the Bible, when you stole from someone, In the Old Testament law, which they're living under, it was a 20% restitution. You gave back what you stole plus a fifth. Not a 400% restitution. He isn't simply saying, hey, I'm going to be a good boy. I'm going to live according to the law. His whole life has changed because of his relationship with Jesus. Why has his life changed? Why this alteration? And it is all explained in verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house. Since he is also a son of Abraham. Today, salvation has come to this house, since this also is a son of Abraham. And we read that and maybe we fall back into some kind of works or earning type of salvation. What does he mean? Oh, so salvation is here because he's a son of Abraham. 
But Paul tells us to be a son of Abraham is more than having the same DNA coursing through your body. It's more than a blood thing. To be a son of Abraham is to worship the God Abraham worships. To live by faith and not by sight. To be justified not by your works, but by His promise. He says, today salvation has come to this house, since this also is a son of Abraham. If we work, we work our way slowly as we are doing through, the, through Luke, we've been exposed over and over again in the gospel to the truth that Jesus is a friend to the poor, to the outcast, to the oppressed, to the overlooked sinner. And today we learn that Jesus is also a friend to the wealthy, healthy sinner. Your poverty and your outcastedness, that does not keep you from Christ being able to come into your life and change you. Your wealth, your success, that does not keep Jesus from being able to come into your life and change you. Jesus had announced it's hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And it shocked everyone. They said, well, then who can enter? And Jesus' response, do you remember? With man, it's impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. What is impossible for man, wealthy or poor, is possible for God, wealthy or poor. He says, because the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This alone explains that it's not because He was the Son of Abraham, that He was already fine all along. He was lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man did not come to affirm the found or to humor the healthy or to receive the righteous. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, the broken, the needy, the oppressed, the unclean, the unrighteous, the unworthy. And so the story starts out sounding like we're hearing about a man who went seeking Jesus. And it ends revealing all along that it was Jesus who went looking for the man. Jesus goes and says, I... I must come to your house today. Jesus comes today to this meal and he says, You lost, broken, unworthy, unholy, come and eat with me. Come, Jesus seeks the lost. If he didn't, none of us would be here today.
Let's pray. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew He moved my soul to seek Him seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true, but I was found by Thee. Thou lovest me, Thou lovest me, always Thou lovest me. Jesus, if we have come here looking for you today, it is because you have been searching for us. You came looking for us. You moved so that we might move. You opened our eyes by your Spirit so that we might see our sin and see your answer on the cross. It's not by the strength of our hand that we cling to you. It is by the strength of your hand that you cling to us. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Father, that your love for us is shown through your Son on the cross. We pray, God, that we would be moved by you, that we would, our cha- we would, there would be a change in our hearts, a change in our attitude toward our stuff and our, our neighbors and toward our sin. Jesus, thank you that you come not just to be a guest, but to dwell forever with us to invite us to your table, to feast, to remember, to believe. Remind us again of your great mercy and your great work on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.